If you have a Bible, if you'd please turn to 1 Corinthians 13. We've been walking through this chapter verse by verse. Today we're zooming in on verse 7. And I will be reading the entire chapter. The verses are also on the screens. This is the Word of God. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, we are in so desperate need of your love in our homes, in our communities, in our cities, on our college campuses, throughout every part of this nation, every part of this world, there is a desperate hunger and need for the love of God in Christ. That is the only love that will not let us go. That is the only love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So Lord, show us that kind of love today. May we behold it, may we experience it, and may it overflow out of us to those around us, to a world that needs it so badly. We need your Spirit to do this work. And Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're looking at verse 7 today. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Three points we'll see from our text. First of all, love won't quit. Secondly, love won't stop believing or hoping, and I won't sing it. And third, love's perfect expression. First of all, love won't quit. Uh, 
I read an article, I found this, and the, the most recent article I could find was from the year 2014, so maybe Amazon has changed this policy between then and now, I don't know. But at one point, Amazon had a policy that was called their paid-to-quit paid policy. And what Amazon would do is they would pay you $1,000 to walk away from your job. And actually, they enable, they, um, enable the person to accrue time. So if you'd worked for Amazon for three years, they'd add $1,000 each year. It started, I believe, at 1000 And you could get this up to $5,000. Amazon would pay you $5,000 to quit your job. And uh, the reasoning was, hey, let's, let's get rid of um, those who don't really want to be here and we'll be a better company. I don't know if that policy is working or not. But I do know this. America, we have a commitment problem. Ever since no-fault divorce became law in this nation throughout all the 50 states, divorce has become much more easier. It's much easier to get out of a marriage if, you don't, if you're not happy. We have an incredible amount of job mobility now. You can move around from one place to another. We had a home epidemic, home ownership epidemic in 2008, and, and so many of those factors were beyond anyone's control. But for many people, it meant walking away from a, a commitment to a mortgage, maybe not by choice. There's lots of different things that we are able to quit today. We can walk out of our phone contract. We can quit Netflix. We can quit a diet. We can quit lots of things. Many of them are not that important. But commitment, as we'll see in our passage today, is at the heart of love. Biblical love is all about commitment and all about resiliency. And let me say this, if you're married and you're here today, your marriage is not based on how you feel at this moment or how things are going at this moment. Your marriage is based on a commitment. It's based on a covenant commitment that you made before God. That's the basis of a marriage. And the biblical love that God has for us and that God wants us to have is a love that won't quit. Biblical love won't quit. I like how the ESV puts it. It says, love bears all things, endures all things. That's biblical love. It it bears all things. It endures. It puts up with a lot. It doesn't give up on its commitments. Biblical love knows that when you're in a relationship, the more meaningful the relationship is in your life, the harder it's going to be, the more work you're going to have to put in. And biblical love doesn't say, well, I just walk away as soon as things get tough, but rather I'm in it all the way. I'm not going to quit. That's the heart of biblical love. It always perseveres. It always protects. It's resilient. It doesn't just, as soon as things get tough in one way or another, I'm just going to get out of this because I can. You say, well, surely there's got to be a limit, right? There's got to be a limit to forgiveness, a limit to how much we put up with stuff. And Peter had that question too. He said, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who sinned against me? Maybe seven times. That's a lot. Seven times someone sinned against you. And Jesus says this to Peter. Peter says, Lord, how many times should I forgive up to seven times? And Jesus answered him, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. What's Jesus saying? He's saying there's no limit to forgiveness. There's no limit to what love will put up with because it's committed to its object. That's what biblical love is. Now, I'll say this. 
if there's ever been someone who had the right to give up on a relationship, who had the right to say, this relationship is just, I'm done, I'm quit, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here, it would be God. And it would be God's relationship to us because we are so unfaithful. That's why Tim Keller says, God has been in the, in the longest bad marriage in the history of the world. And he means the church because God won't give up on the church. And I've said this before. I've said, look, if you were looking at the Old Testament, you say, okay, what, if I had to take a job in the Old Testament, what would I take? You know, um, Maybe king would be top of the list. Um, well, I'll tell you what should be at the bottom of your list is a prophet. Because basically Old Testament prophets spent their days telling people you need to repent or judgment's coming. God loves you, but judgment's coming if you don't repent. And half the time they're running for their lives. And there's an Old Testament prophet named Hosea. Do you know the story of Hosea? This is what God says to Hosea. It's pretty remarkable. You want to talk about a job description you wouldn't want to take. God says this to Hosea. He says, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. How would you like that? God says to his man, Hosea, he says, I want you to go marry Gomer. She's going to cheat on you. She's going to run around. She's going to leave you. And I want you to marry her. And it's remarkable. And of course, what happens? He marries Gomer. She's unfaithful. She cheats. She eventually just leaves. She doesn't want to be with this guy. If you know the story of Hosea, what happens next? God says, I want you to go buy her back. Because what we think is Gomer has actually gone into the, potentially into the sex trade. She's in slavery. She's for sale. And God says to Hosea, go buy her back. Bring her back into your home. Restore her in love. Treat her with dignity as your wife. How could God do that? Well, the whole book of Hosea is a metaphor for God's relationship with us. We are the adulterous people. And God is the one that says, I love you and I won't give up on you. Listen to Hosea 11.8. This is what God says. He says, how can I give up on you? This is God talking now. How can I give up on you, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. That's the kind of God we serve. He says, I won't give up. I won't quit. My love is resilient. I'll never give up on you. Some of you today, perhaps you're suffering, perhaps you're waiting. Waiting can be a form of suffering, at least it can feel like suffering sometimes. You say, Lord, why has this not happened in my life yet? Why am I going through this suffering? How do I know that you're good? And God wants you to know today, he is the faithful God who is always faithful. He'll never give up. His love will never quit to his children. That's the first thing we see is love won't quit. The second thing we see is that love won't stop believing or it won't stop hoping. You know, there are, there are some people who um, are just more naturally uh, positive people, right? I think things are going to go away. I mean, th- I think things are going to go well. And other people, you know, maybe a little bit more of Eeyore, like, oh, things are probably going to go bad. Um, that's just kind of how you're wired. But biblical trust is not just having a positive attitude, okay? It's not just saying, well, things are probably going to go well for me. This situation is probably going to turn out well. Biblical trust, biblical faith, is faith in God, His character, and in His promises. 
It's trust in God. You see, biblical love always keeps faith. It doesn't, it doesn't stop believing that God is good and that his promises are true in Christ. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's biblical faith. And that's the faith that characterizes love. It's not just an, uh, some kind of an optimism, a, a feel-good attitude. It's, a, it's focused on God. It's focused on his promises. It says, I know who I serve. I know my God is faithful, and I'm going to put my faith in him. It's also a, it's a living hope as well. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says this, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. What's the opposite of a living hope? It's a dead hope. So biblical love keeps hoping. It doesn't give up. It keeps trusting that God is good and that his promises are good and that one day we will feast in the house of Zion. One day all of our struggles, all of our tears will be gone. Here's some questions that we should ask ourselves. Ask yourself this question right now. Do I believe the best about people and situations? Okay. Do I believe the best about people and situations? In other words, love is not cynical. You know, it's so easy when we look around our culture today to to be cynical and to just make fun of something, but that's always the easy way out. That's not biblical love. You know, we can look out on our country and say race relations. I mean, our our race relations. I mean, it's never going to get any better. Look look at, we've, we've, this has been going on in our country from day one and, and and we think we've made progress and then look at, look at what's going on in our country now with race relations. And biblical love says, no, we'll keep hoping, we'll keep trusting, we'll keep praying, and we will believe that God can change any person, any culture, any problem. That's the God that we serve. God can change any person. He can change any problem. He can turn around any heart. Who, who is the person in your life, or, or maybe there's multiple people, you think, you know what, God could never reach that person. You know, if I'm honest, just what that person's gone through, what they've said to me about their beliefs, there's no way that God could reach that person. And biblical love says, no, I won't stop hoping. I won't stop trusting. I won't stop believing that that person is not too far away. They're not too far gone for God because nobody is. Biblical love believes the best about people and situations. That doesn't mean we're not realistic. It doesn't mean we're not shrewd in a sense and wise in terms of how we handle ourselves and our relationships, but it always believes the best. It's not cynical. It's trusting. It's hopeful. It believes that God is a God of power who's at work. Do you believe that about God, that he can, he can turn around any situation? He can heal any disease. He can fix any problem. It's what biblical love. It always hopes. It always trusts. Whatever his will is, it doesn't stop trusting. It doesn't stop hoping. Other questions, another question asked, do I believe God will provide for me financially, for my child's future, for my health? We could add so many things. And here's the thing. God calls us to live lives of love, but so often the controlling, the dominant emotion in our lives is fear. It's fear. So we think, well, um, I have to have this amount of money and I have to have this plan for my child and um, I have to make sure that, that my health is just this certain way. 
um, because there's fear, because we wonder, what will happen? What will I do if this doesn't happen, if this doesn't happen? And so we find ourselves governed by fear. 1 John 4, 18 says, perfect love casts out fear. You know, biblical love enables people to take risks. Do you know that when the great missionary movements were happening, and the missionary movements weren't, certainly weren't perfect, but missionaries used to, to leave, and they would go to places like Africa and other places, and they would actually take their coffins with them. They would, they would go into the mission field with a coffin because obviously you know why. They thought, probably going to die. I may die. And what enables someone to take, to do that sort of thing? To, to go out and not be completely paralyzed by fear. I mean, we're paralyzed by so many smaller things than that. And how do you stare down death? Say it's okay. God's in control. It's because you have a love inside of you that won't stop believing or hoping that your inheritance is sure. You know where you're going and you know who holds your life in his hands. I'll say one last thing. Biblical love can laugh too cannot take itself too seriously. Love is generous, it's trusting, it's hopeful, it's joyful. That's what love looks like. It's resilient. It doesn't stop believing. It doesn't start hoping. There's an optimism there that's rooted in God and rooted in where we know the story is going. Well, last thing, love's perfect expression. I was driving in my car the other day, a few weeks ago, turned on the radio, just going through some songs, and I heard a song. I started listening to this song, and I thought to myself, oh, wow, um, this song is a surprisingly insightful pop song, okay? Now, listen, typically pop music has the depth, you know, the substance of a bowl of whipped cream, right? I mean, like, even if, I don't care how big that bowl is of whipped cream, it can be a barrel. You're going to need to eat again in a half hour because there's just not much there. And, and oftentimes with pop music, that's what we're getting. And that's okay. That's not why we're listening. We're listening to be entertained. We're listening because we like the beat. We want to do a little dance party, whatever. Um, but I was listening to this song on the radio, and I thought, wow, this is uh, surprisingly, it's kind of raw. It's, it's honest. So I went home, looked up the song, found out that the song is based on the singer's own life. And the song I'm referring to is a song called Piece by Piece by the artist Kelly Clarkson. She wrote this song after the birth of her daughter. And in this song, I don't know if you've heard it, she compares her biological father, Stephen Clarkson, who walked out on the family, with her now husband, Brandon Blackstock. And she vows to provide a better upbringing for her daughter, than she herself had. If you, um, if you look up online, I just looked up the song. Uh, there's a number of recordings where video clips where, where she starts to break down crying when she, when she sings the song because it's about her own life. And she said afterwards, she said as well, she said, I wrote this song and uh, I had no idea how many people were going to come up to me and say, uh, fans, you know, emails, all this stuff, and say to me, that song speaks to me, that's my life too. So I want to share some lyrics from this song. First, she's singing about her, her father, then she's singing about her husband. Here's what she says. She says, All I remember is your back, walking towards the airport, leaving us all in your past. 
I traveled 1,500 miles to see you, begged you to want me, but you didn't want to. All of your words fell flat. I made something of myself, and now you want to come back. In other words, she's a big star now. She's worth lots of money. But your love, it isn't free. It has to be earned. Back then, I didn't have anything you needed, so I was worthless. And she says in the chorus about her husband, But piece by piece he collected me up off the ground where you abandoned things. Piece by piece he filled the holes that you burned in me at six years old. Some of you know what it's like to have pain like that. Some of you know what it's like to have a parent that walked out on you. Or maybe they never walked out of the house physically, but... They walked out on you emotionally in terms of caring for you. Some of you know what it means to be betrayed by a loved one or hurt badly. Some of you know what it means to lose a loved one. What does a six-year-old girl need in life? Well, she needs to have her basic needs provided for, of course. She needs to be taught lessons like responsibility as well as she can at that age, the right way to treat her peers. But underneath all of that, what does a six-year-old girl need? She needs the love of a mom and a dad who care about her, who aren't going to walk out. She needs to know to not live with a constant fear of, what if mom or dad leave the house right now? I'm never going to see him again. She needs to know I'm accepted. My parents love me. I'm safe when I'm with them. That's what a six-year-old girl needs. What do you and I need? What everybody needs, I don't care who you are, I don't care what upbringing you've had, what every one of us needs is a love that will not let us go that we can only find in Christ. That's what we need. We need a love that will never abandon us, that will never walk away, that will never change, that will never decide you're not good enough. We need the love of our Heavenly Father. You see, no, heavenly, no earthly father, however good they are, can ever match the love of our Heavenly Father. I, I hope Kelly Clarkson and her husband and her child, I hope that they have a wonderful home filled with love. But there's a deeper need in us There's a deeper hunger. Those of you who've lost a father, you've lost someone you love, you know the hole's there, but there's a deeper hole even still. There's a father hunger in us that no human father can meet. It's a hunger that only God can meet because God ultimately is our father. He created us. He made us to know him. And the biggest difference between this song about a father walking out, abandoning his family and his six-year-old daughter. The biggest difference between that and us is that we've walked out on God. We're the ones who've said to God, we don't need you anymore. We can do life fine without you. Thank you very much, God. And we pursue our own interests and we pursue our own ends and we live the way we want to live and we reject God's law. That's the difference is that we've walked out. But God's love is there for us in Christ. And in Christ, we see, in Jesus, we see the perfect expression of love. We see a love 
that always protects, that always that bears all things. We see a love that always trusted. Jesus never wavered in his trust in the Father. Even in the garden, his trust didn't break. We see a love that always hoped, and we see a love that always persevered. There's a remarkable verse in Hebrews. I don't think we'll probably ever get to the bottom of it in this life, where it says this in Hebrews 12 too, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He endured the cross. Why? Because he had a hope. He knew what was coming. He scorned its shame, but he endured it because the joy set before him. We have a hunger that can only be met in Christ. You know, I'm convinced that every human being is insecure on some level. I think we all are, we're all insecure, right? On one way or another. Some of us, uh, maybe more so, expressed in different ways. But ultimately, um, we, we, ask, we ask the big questions. And, and you can take the most successful, famous, well-known person on the planet, and if you put them on their deathbed, all of a sudden, all the cars they own and all the wealth they, ha- they have and everything they've done is, is meaningless if you're, if you're just facing death. And if you're facing death, you're, you're asking yourself questions like, why am I here? What's my purpose? Where am I going to go? Does my life matter? And that question can only be answered through the love of your heavenly Father. God wants you to know Him. He wants you to love Him. He wants you to have a relationship with Him. You know, we're trying to... It's so easy. We try to justify our lives in so many different ways. We try to justify our lives with our work and our kids and our appearance and, and so many things. And there's this great scene in the movie Chariots of Fire. Some of you remember it. Remember um, Harold Abrams, the competitor, is uh, talking about the race at the Olympics. This is what he says about, about the 100-meter dash. He says, I will raise my eyes and look down the corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence, but will I? Will I? For him, he's got 10 seconds to justify his whole existence. That's a lot of pressure. Why do we matter? Why does your life matter? Why does your life have purpose? I'll tell you why. It's because God created you and he loves you and he's made you to know him and walk in fellowship with him. We matter because God created us and loves us. And his love is a love that will not let you go. It's a love that cannot be lost. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's God's love for us in Christ. Each of us need to to hear in our soul. We need to, to hear in the deepest part of us that God loves us that he cares for us, that he's died for us. He sent Jesus for us. And that is the only love that can weather any storm, that can get you through any suffering, and that can bring you safely into the hands of your heavenly Father. Even on your deathbed, you can lay there knowing exactly where you're going to go because you have a love that you cannot lose, that's yours in Christ. If you don't know this love, I, I, I do hope and pray that you would come and talk to me or, or another leader at this church and ask us how to find this love. It's the amazing, the most incredible thing of all the gospel is that it's free. 
is that it's accessible to anyone, that God's given it to us for free in Christ if we will receive his love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a love that will not let us go, a love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. I pray that everyone in this room would, myself included, build our lives upon this love. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.